Stat Media Group, delivering logistics news since 1986. This is Cargo Masterminds from Stat Media Group. It's Monday and it's time to catch up with our new Cargo Mastermind. Hello and welcome to Cargo Masterminds. My name is Reggie John. Amiri Jet started operations in 1974 with one leased aircraft providing small cargo and passenger flights between the US and the Bahamas. By 1978, Amrijet was flying overnight career routes, operating a fleet of Falcon 20s. In 1987, Amrijet opened its hub at the Miami International Airport, marking the foundation of what would grow to become the heart of the international operations for Amrijet International Airlines. 33 years later in 2020, just as the world was getting used to a chaotic new normal because of the COVID pandemic, the all cargo carrier started its first transatlantic route connecting Brussels in Belgium. In July last year, it announced the appointment of Tim Strauss as the new chief executive officer. With more than 46 years of experience in the cargo industry, Amrijet has the history of being a very strong regional all cargo carrier across the Caribbean, Mexico, and parts of South America. Amrijet operates its own dedicated freighter fleet of Boeing 767 aircraft. Expansion of its network to Europe and the appointment of Tim Strauss as the chief executive are the beginning of the implementation of Amrijet's long-term vision to become a global air cargo carrier of choice for its customers. Tim Strauss, the chief executive officer of Amrijet International Airlines, joins me in today's episode of Cargo Masterminds. Tim, welcome to Cargo Masterminds. Reggie, thanks so much. It's a joy to be with you. Great to be here and welcome to Miami, at least virtually. Thanks, Tim. Uh, let's uh, start with your appointment as the Chief Executive Officer of the Amerijet. Uh, tell us the reasons for you to pick up this job and what has been the brief to you. There's a number of different factors, as you could imagine, in a decision like this. It's a unique opportunity. I began my, my career in the all-cargo side of the business. Uh, it's been about uh, 15 years, uh, and actually with Amerijet as one of our chief uh, suppliers um, when I was with Emory Worldwide and operating 727s for the company at that point. And I don't think I would have ever left Air Canada had it not been for the pandemic. It, it so disrupted the world as we know it, disrupted the airline and air cargo businesses um, involved with it and created opportunities that had not been readily available or apparent. And I think structurally changed the industry for the, at least the long haul, I'd say the next 20 years. And, and those changes uh, happened in such a way and at such a time uh, that while I did not, you know, the original thought process from the scientists was we were going to have a two-week or three-week or four-week shutdown and we'd be back. Well, of course, that drug on and on and on. And uh, it really changed the dynamics of how I looked at my own uh, last few years in the industry and what I thought was the future. And um, the opportunity with Car or Amerijet came forward and it was um, unique. And the opportunity to really take everything I've learned over my 36 years in the industry and put it together in a spot that was ready to boom and in a company that was ready to renew itself and look at a different long-term focus. So I think all of those things come together. I, I you know, the most difficult part 
is always the people side. I loved Air Canada. I loved the company. I loved Canada itself. Montreal was a great place to be based and it made a lot of sense. Uh, it, but in this environment, everything just got turned upside down. And uh, so this was a once in a lifetime opportunity and uh, the opportunity to be the CEO, as you know, in a passenger cargo organization, you're two or three or 4% of the revenue of the company, if you're fortunate. And uh, so you don't always get to pull the trigger on decisions you'd like to make and push the company where you want to go. Even though we were very fast growing, we grew 80% in my time there at Air Canada, you still don't quite have your hands on the control. So this was uh, a chance to really put all that I know, I think I know, uh, into play at a time that was very, very unique in the industry. And all those things came together and it just made great sense. And the company has been very good to work with here at Amerijet. You know, Tim, what a way to start being the CEO of an all-cargo carrier in the right in the midst of a pandemic. Tell us how you manage the company and the and the team to deal with the crisis and stay focused on the business. Of course, it's been just less than less than a year uh, since that you took the new charge. There's a, a, a number of levels to that question, right? So number one is you just have to communicate like crazy, which is I'm a walk around, touch, you know, um, see people on the job. You go down the hallways, go in the warehouse, fly the world, uh, see the people. You can't do that in this environment, but you can communicate. So I literally spend about eight hours a day on some kind of a Teams or Zoom or other meeting uh, to gather people and get together and begin to have some discussions and keep very focused on the future. And like many industries, we have a large number of our people who are working from home, which is great. It's worked out very well. They've done a phenomenal job. We've learned a lot of things about how you can work independently differently than we would have had in the past, but this is a relationship business. There were relationships with customers, relationship with your fellow employees. And so, you know, that, that hurts on a personal level. And I've met just a handful of our employees, not nearly all of them, but we do routine monthly meetings. I have town halls uh, digitally with different employee groups. A uh, little less uh, interaction with the customer because that comes in a different path um, than I'd like, but we're looking forward to get back to that as well. And then I think um, one of the great joys in the last few weeks, we've begun to have uh, larger employee group meetings. And so two weeks ago, we had our first kind of let's mesh the gears type meeting between different operating groups, the finance side of the house, uh, where we want to go with engineering and an approach and how we're going to enter connect many of the different IT programs we put together that will help us uh, drive into the future. So that was phenomenal. There were 30 of us in the room. It was the first time we ever had a meeting like that. You could tell people were just delighted to be together. Uh, but so we've, we've managed on that sense and the people side pretty well, I think. Um, but you also have, you know, we're growing. We have a future we're looking for towards. Uh, there's been this major structural change that I think is uh, semi-permanent in the industry as much as it can be. Uh, airplanes aren't going to come back and fly the same way for the passenger side of the organizations. Um, lots of aircraft retired, changing really the dynamics of the business. And so that's been part of the opportunity, I guess you would call it, for us to really discuss in detail what does each of these structural changes in each of the environments mean and what should we do to enter into certain markets or to stay away from certain kinds of operating uh, environments and really have some deep discussions about what our future looks like. And then 
you know, talent is strategy. And so then what talent do we want to bring into the company? So just before I came on board, we brought a new CFO in. Recently, we brought Eric Wilson in, who was uh, head of sales at Delta Airlines, and he leads our commercial side now. That was just four months ago. We brought in a new um, vice president of uh, airline and company safety uh, to upgrade that because when we were smaller, you kind of wore dual hats, but now we need to be more segmented in how we do things. But all that's huge amount, and, and those are just a few of the people we brought on board. All of that is huge change in the middle of an atmosphere where you really haven't been able to connect, you know, touch face to face. And, and so that has its own challenges. And, but we're bringing the talent in, we're learning to, to adapt and, uh, and then bring on the people necessary to help us grow into the areas of the business that we want to long term. Well, we just began a new revenue management uh, department here on Monday of this week, actually, and brought in folks to begin to help us with that. And uh, as well as, and I think this is a really big one for us, we're a, a focused airline wanting to start and beginning to do more global or broad range flying, but had not up to that point uh, done a lot of it. And so as we have been growing the fleet, you have to grow the support functions and everything that go with it. Also lots of new IT projects, which we can talk about in a few minutes. And each of those really wants to have a mapped process. So we really began talking about we want to have an engineered approach to everything we do. So nothing moves without a plan for its movement or handling or data infrastructure. And so we brought on a series of industrial engineers, project management office was created, all, in a, all to enable us to grow at the pace that we believe the future will allow us to, to grow and to induct aircraft and to induct personnel, all the training aspects. So really kind of a, we're a startup within a 44, 44, 46-year-old company. And that's kind of how we look at it, which is both exciting. And as one of my friends at Air Canada, Canada, Vito Cironi says, it's like driving down the road and changing your tire at the same time. Tim, the, how did the pandemic affect uh, your relationship with your trusted customers? Because I hope the pandemic actually kind of brought in a lot of readjustment with the with your existing customer relationship. So how did you manage that? That structural change has been good in some areas and tough in others. And I think we, in the first months of the pandemic, so April, prior to my time, but April of last year, so 13, 14 months ago, nobody really knew it was going to happen. And But certain companies in the um, all-cargo integrator world were looking for additional capacity. But much of our region that we normally serve shut down for an extended period of time, much like uh, any other country in the world. And so we didn't have the demand for a period of time and we had other opportunities to go with a different, um, a different path and apply or utilize our aircraft in some of the large integrator systems. And that began to open some new doors for us and some additional opportunities. Uh, but then of course, you know, things began to open a little bit. We began to uh, country-wise, uh, not all of them, but some of them. Um, and so we got back into the middle of it, but it had a disruptive <clears throat> factor um, some of it, you know, the demand was still there, but the country regulations wouldn't let you, you know, support it. And of course, you know, the airline industry, like much of the logistics industry, did not close down. So we had those uh, interesting elements to deal with. The, the demand was there. Um, we could offer the supply, but they, you weren't always able to do what you wanted to do. So I think there was a, a little back and forth, and we've 
we've really, you know, there, there are times like this where you can be, you know, uh, very aggressive in your pricing programs and other things, now, or you can play at this slightly different game. And we decided we were going to play for the long-term growth. So we made some moves and continue to make decisions that we could have put more money on the bottom line, I guess is a way to say it, but we chose to def defer that to play the long-term game. And so to use our assets a little differently. And I'd say we, you know, we, we have great relationships with our customers. Of course, we've been in a marketplace for 46 years. We have the majority of our customers have been customers with us for well over a decade. And uh, you, you want to delight them. There were times we could not delight them. And uh, we're, but you know, you, you go through those adjustments and uh, we're back in a spot where I think we're in good shape there. And then of course we've done a very, very good job in a number of areas of growing the business. And that shows with customer service and service sales. So if you, you get that right, you're off and running. Jim, you have uh, some very aggressive plans in terms of expansion route network. Uh, and as part of that, you had launched the Brussels flight uh, connecting Miami. And you also have planned to become the, not a regional player, you want to really become a global all cargo carrier. What are some of the plans that uh, that you have in terms of how do you want to place summary jet in the global air cargo industry? I think, you know, first of all, and, and this is always going to be the case for Amerijet, we have a very meaningful, substantial uh, fortress area region of the country or world rather that we want to serve in the Caribbean, Central America, Latin America. That's the base from which we operate. That's the core of our business. But you're right, we want to expand. So you mentioned uh, Brussels. Uh, with, and you had to have ETOPS to do that. You don't decide, oh, there's a pandemic, we're gonna start flying to Brussels across the Atlantic. So that had actually been in play for about um, more than two years because an ETOPS program is a long uh, drive to get that in place. And for those not familiar, ETOPS gives you the permission to fly over water at an extended period of time when necessary to do the Atlantic or Pacific uh, routes. So um, we have gotten ETOPS qualified and that was in the works well before the pandemic hit, but our timing couldn't have been better. Um, so that allowed us to enter into the European market through Brussels. And as you know, you can truck through most of Europe, or that's once you're there, that's what goes on. And so that opened up a whole new world for us, very important world for us. And when we look at uh, the global quality of revenue, and I think that's this is what I would qualify this as, is the quality of revenue play is you know, Asia revenue is the highest yields in the world. European tends to be second. Uh, the US market right after that. Um, uh, Canada, not far behind. Uh, South America is right behind that. Central America probably be in there somewhere. Africa and then India, of course. We are, our central, our normal hunting ground, if you want to put it like that, is, uh, has been in the kind of the mid range of the yield side. So being able to get into Europe gets us into a different game. And furthermore, getting into Asia will take that even further. And that's necessary to grow your business so you have a, the right base to work from. And we have a very good base of business. This just improves it. And we look to add additional routes into Europe. Um, we don't have a long range plan right now for Asia other than partnerships, which are working pretty well. Uh, but we want to expand on those. And as you expand in one area of the globe, you tend to get opportunities in others. And so it kind of has a natural rhythm and will lead us, uh, I think, into the next phases of our growth. But it's really a quality of revenue play and uh, a desire to 
connect uh, two of the important industries we serve, uh, which is really based in the pharmaceutical region. And uh, San Juan, you may or may not know, is a, is a large scale uh, pharmaceutical factory point. And that's a huge point for us, a major base of operations, very important uh, location in our network. And connecting that with Brussels and into the rest of the European pharmaceutical environment, extraordinarily important for us. Um, and it's not full of pharmaceuticals, uh, that plane, but it's an important piece of the pharmaceutical distribution. So uh, that one's a big one for us. And then Miami itself sees about 70% of all the goods that come out of South America come through Miami. Uh, so be able to connect those to the rest of the world seamlessly on our own fleet rather than turning it over on an interline basis to someone else uh, just made a lot of sense. And so we, you know, the carriers are, I'm sorry, uh, sorry, forwarders and customers would rather give it to one airline and know it's going to go all the way through to destination than have to split it up. They will split it up, but they'd rather have it one one stop shopping all the way through to destination. So we're beginning to be able to offer that level of performance. Do you intend to increase the frequency of the Brussels flight? And uh, do you have any plans for any other destination within Europe? Well, we have flown to other destinations in Europe and uh, we do um, intend to expand the number of uh, operations into Europe from Miami. So yes to both of those questions. Let's talk about the diversification of the business and the expansion of your uh, fleet for dedicated ACMI and CMI and long-term charter customers in the US, Europe and the Caribbean and South America. What is the update? Uh, how many how many freighters do you intend to have by the end of this year and end of next year? There was a COVID bump or a COVID opportunity. We looked at playing the COVID opportunity versus the COVID bump. So we could go for short-term gain or we could play long-term. We decided to play long-term and build meaningful relationships with some of the largest integrator or express delivery companies in the world. And uh, who had great need as COVID hit and saw, you know, 40% expansion in e-commerce and nothing seems to be slowing that down in the near future. Uh, you saw the business to business that had perhaps moved on different modes or different methods, uh, really becoming more e-commerce like. Uh, and that was a trend that had already started pre-COVID. Um, smaller shipments more often as opposed to ginormous shipments on a big, big shipment basis. Uh, that just sped up and the supply chains have kind of adjusted around that to a degree. Those all created opportunities for us. So we're, we're not expanding, hoping it gets better. We, we see where the, the expansion looks to go. Uh, we've done a number of studies with uh, outside consultants to help us understand the projected growth in each of the different various uh, markets and regions of the world. We know Within, you know, within a degree of uh, correctness, uh, the uh, capacity versus demand or demand versus capacity requirements over the next decade as we best see them. And based on that, we have really uh, been pushing hard with uh, our ACMI. So that's where we fly the aircraft uh, for another carrier or another company. It's like a long-term charter, if you will. And so we have done a good deal more of that. We also began uh, for the first time last uh, late fall, November-ish timeframe to begin to fly CMI aircraft. Uh, so that's where uh, we, the another airline or carrier provides the aircraft. We put it on our certificate. So they own the airplane, but it's on our certificate and we fly it with our crew. We do the, the smaller maintenance bits and, and take the airplane from there and run it 
however they choose to operate it. So those are all expansion uh, opportunities, some of our own airplanes, some of uh, another company's airplanes that we fly. When I arrived a year ago, well, 10 months ago in August, we had seven aircraft. We were just getting ready to take our eighth. Uh, we are currently operating 13 aircraft of our that are on our certificate and then a few um, uh, outside contracts that operate for us separately within our own system. Um, by Christmas of this year, we will add six more aircraft. So we'll be up in the range of 20 by the end of this year uh, on our certificate that we're flying. We have begun uh, to take into our, induct into our system for conversion, a number of 757 aircraft as well. So we're adding to the 767 fleet. For those not familiar with uh, the aircraft themselves, uh, a crew member can fly either a 757 or a 767 because they have cockpit commonality. So it's the next range downsize airplane for us. So it made sense from a, a number of the markets that we serve both on our own system and we believe for some of our uh, charter like customers, integrator customers and uh, have begun to do those. And then uh, two years out, we think we'll be in the 25 to 27 airplane uh, range of aircraft. On, on our certificate as we sit today, uh, could could grow more than that, but that's uh, what we're building ourselves towards right now. And Tim, you also have a, a commitment to take uh, the Airbus A321 conversion? Um, we don't have a commitment to take the 321 conversion, but we do have the two first 321 conversion aircraft in uh, the Americas flying for us right now, a company called Titan Aviation based in London. Um, and they gave us, they converted both of these aircraft uh, and one arrived, I want to say in February, the next one in early April, and they're flying for us on a contract basis. Uh, there's only, this is a third and fourth conversion A321s from passenger to freighter that have been done. And uh, they're a great aircraft. It fits our model very well. We really like the operator. Titan's great. And the relationship is very good. So we look to continue to grow on that front. Uh, right now, we think the seven Five sevens a little less um, expensive to acquire. The 321 is still very popular in the passenger world. And so that makes it a little more difficult to acquire at the right pricing uh, as we see it right now. I think over time, it's a great airplane. And, uh, but the 757s are our choice for uh, the you know, near future at least. On the CMI basis, you are operating for DHL Express, and uh, I think you are supposed to be operating four of them, and uh, we started operating all the four right now? Yes, we, we're operating four. We actually have our fifth on the ramp right now, so it's going under this, um, put it, being put on our certificate. It takes a while to do that as you do all the record changes and all the rest from the company that was operating to uh, us operating. So we did four aircraft, one a month for them, roughly speaking, starting in November, so by the end of February, March, Early March, we were flying four, and we just took the fifth one on um, a few weeks ago. And as I said, it's going through its certification process. And will you have more of those for the DHL Express? That will determine be determined by DHL. Um, we certainly uh, like the model. Um, we fly those CMI aircraft at a very high level of reliability, and uh, we like the relationship with DHL. And uh, but that's always up to the customer, of course.
Tim, going forward, uh, how significant is going to be your ACMI and CMI and charter operations in your overall business? And what kind of revenue mix would you plan to have among your different verticals? Well, I think, you know, the CMI has its own pricing component. ACMI has its own also. And then the, the, the cargo you know, base product where we're, we're really a unique uh, airline, Reggie, and I'm not sure there's too many more like us. There are others, but not very many that have really a scheduled network you run. So our Caribbean Latin American uh, network that runs more like a traditional integrator type system. Uh, and then we have the ACMI and CMI business. And we see those growing to um, roughly equal dollar numbers uh, in a fairly short period of time. More aircraft on the CMI, ACMI side uh, than we will have in the scheduled network. Uh, but we certainly look at expanding both of those in a, in a very uh, rationalized way over the next couple of years. And we see, we see many, many, many more opportunities. Um, there's, there's a lot of goodness in the market. And it, it's very interesting as uh, I spent five years in, in Hawaii, which is really South Pacific, and, and then oh, close to four years in Canada. Um, so it's been nine years almost since I've been in the U.S. market. And you forget how enormous the U.S. market is and how just how dynamic it is and also how incredibly competitive it is. And uh, it's, it's really a unique market, and but it has just volumetrically, exponentially huge opportunity. Tim, since uh, still we are talking about aircraft and the types of um, assets that we have, there's a lot of news about the the demand for freighter capacity, demand for uh, either production freighters or the converted passenger to freighter converted freighters. There is a 777-300ERSF, which is the big twin, which is being made right now. Would you consider any of the production freighters, the wide body varieties? Uh, let's talk about freighter version of the A350, uh, production version of uh, 777X. Uh, would you consider any of this in the long term? When I get to dream, I do, Reggie. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, it, I think that would, if you had the right customer, yes, we would, we would go that direction. But I think for us, it's, it's, we really are the production or the secondary market on the freighters after they've flown for 20 years or 15 years in the uh, passenger world. So I think that's still our principle. The math is, is very difficult to make work in the freighter world, but there are a few places and customers that it would make sense for. So as we develop these relationships, I would never say never because the market is just that dynamic. Uh, but obviously it takes a number of years ahead of time to both make the plan and to actually be able to acquire an aircraft. So you, if you want one in 2025, you have to make the commitment in the next two years to do that, that kind of a range of things. I think it's certainly within the range of possibility. Tim, what's your bet on the e-retail or retail through the e-commerce channels and the potential for um, e-commerce shipment uh, through your network? I think there's a great deal of opportunity there. Again, I think as the business changes and people's buying habits change and we make it easier to do business with us. And you know, there's something called Moore's Law in the IT world. And it's, uh, if you're not familiar with it, it's it, it's roughly speaking, the Moore was one of the earlier um, executives at um, Intel, so back in the 70s, and he said correctly uh, that the power of computing um, doubles every year and the cost of computing goes in half every year, 18 months. And that's been true since the 70s. Now it's slowed down a little bit from that, but things that only certain of the 
big, huge e-commerce e-tailers could be because of the size of the technology infrastructure are now more available to smaller players like us. Um, and I think those changes uh, are a dynamic change. And you know, we all know the biggest names, you know, the Amazons and the others who are just ginormous, but there are hundreds and hundreds of other e-tailers also looking for capacity and lift. And all of those are great customers to have in their portfolio. And I think e-commerce is only gonna to continue to expand. Uh, we don't see that slowing down. And some of the regions we serve haven't seen e-commerce explode at quite the same level as other areas. And we believe as we make that easier to do business in that arena, we'll see that explode as well. Tim, let's talk about the digitalization process in the air freight industry. It's a, it's a very key topic of discussion. And uh, I think the pandemic had just exposed uh, the importance of digitalization within the air freight industry. And uh, you have right now uh, engaged with the smart cargo to upgrade your uh, cargo management uh, system. Uh, tell us uh, what has been happening and when do you expect to have the complete rollout? I will just say we have our head in the clouds, right? We want to be a cloud-based company. And so as we choose suppliers to work with and partners to work with on the IT side, we really want to be in the cloud one way or the other. We actually just went live with Microsoft Dynamics, which is our accounting and finance tools a week ago, Monday. So that's been going on throughout the period of time when I've been with the company as well. And then as you say, we're getting ready to launch Smart Cargo. Uh, we're just entering, entering into the user acceptance testing phase. So we've done a lot of work. We've been very fortunate to bring on board a, a, a few people who really have a great background in the core infrastructural pieces of the uh, air cargo transmission. So cargo imp, cargo XML language, uh, all the other pieces, and they're leading internally this bit in conjunction or in collaboration with our friends at Smart Cargo. And so we, we will go into live testing here in July or June and July, uh, user acceptance training in mid-July and look to launch in late August uh, to put that system into play. And that that's a really big change for us at Amerijet because we have some really well done, but um, home developed, self-developed and self-hosted, which is probably the bigger point, uh, computer systems. So they don't speak into the internet world the same way uh, these more modern systems uh, and getting away from having to have your own server farm and all that you know, kind of industry standard on that front. But so we're, we're both of those programs, Dynamics and now Smart Cargo are both uh, Microsoft cloud-based in the Azure uh, cloud. So we're looking forward to that and what that will do for us on the, on the data side of the business as well. We're also upgrading uh, to a different crew management system, a different scheduling system. We just put in a, uh, a, a fuel conservation system. As you can imagine, that's an important piece for us. And we have a couple of other things on the revenue management, the CRM, customer relationship management tools that we're also looking at. So kind of a wholesale digital change for Amerijet in a relatively brief amount of time, but we think these are necessary tools help us jump into the next level of discussion in the global industry. And the big thing is just being able to data mine, right? So and you talk about the digitals is, you know, all the communication pieces and the infrastructure, but it's being able to extract the right data at the right time and present it to our employees through uh, business intelligence tools, uh, other things that um, you can have in your hands and you can make fast decisions and move quickly with customers 
on either a service or a sales side of the house. And those are really, really important tools for us to, to move to the next level. I'm very excited. And I think probably the last time we talked, we may have been talking about uh, a program I, I had the good fortune to work on uh, in artificial intelligence and how that in, interacts with predictive analytics. Well, many of the things that were done proprietarily before are now becoming more commonplace in some of these cloud-based tools. Um, and so you get access to some of the artificial intelligence bits that weren't available three or four years ago. And uh, you just can't buy off the shelf in the, in the normal sense. Tim, my last question is, uh, how did you close uh, the year 2020 and what do you think is the performance of uh, Amirjet in 2021? Well, we, we have a different financial year. So our financial year actually goes from July to June. So we're a mid-year. Um, so we're, 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 we're at Christmas season at Amerijet right now in terms of the normal calendar. So this is our December and the volumes look like it too, actually. So we're just closing out this financial year. So very interestingly, Reggie, if you can imagine, you know, you build your budget before the new year begins. So when Amerijet uh, had built the budget for this financial year, it was just as the pandemic was starting. Anybody's guess, right? And we had a, you know, still a pretty aggressive budget. And so as we finish off the year, I can tell you that we, we will be above the plan that we had and our plan was pretty aggressive to begin with. And so we, you know, we're a privately, a privately held company, so we don't put out public statements on finances, uh, but we've had a very good year. And we'll have a very, we have a, our run rate going forward is very strong. So we, we, we are financially well-to-do uh, debt, uh, very low debt and, and in, a, in a really good spot. Um, financially to be able to uh, grow with the with the opportunity in front of us, which is an important, you know, you can have everything else if you can't put the finance together, it's really hard. We have a, a good team on the finance side, really good team on the finance side, actually, and a very good uh, private equity company who's uh, playing the long-term game as well. Not all private equity looks at that the same way, uh, but the group that we're with does. And so we're very, very fortunate on that front. Tim, it was uh, such a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for being part of this. And I wish you all the best and hope to meet up with you uh, soon. You as well, Reggie. Thanks so much for the opportunity to speak to yourself and the, the whole stat group. And I uh, look forward to uh, more discussions in the future and seeing where this takes us. So all the best to you and your team. That was uh, Tim Strauss, uh, Chief Executive Officer, Amrijet International Airlines. That's it from us at Stat Media Group. We bring cargo masterminds every Monday. Thanks for tuning in and come back on next Monday for a fresh episode. Have a nice day.